We are nearing the end of our sermon series going through the Psalms, and we are going to bring it to a close during Holy Week as we look at the events of Holy Week through the Psalms, through the perspective of the Psalms. And so this week, as we gather for our services, we are going to look at Psalms 22, 23, and 24. That on Good Friday, we will look at Psalm 22 and how that psalm was on Jesus' mind as well as on his lips on the cross. On Easter Sunday, we'll look at Psalm 23 and how the Good Shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And today, we're looking at Psalm 24 and how Palm Sunday reveals to us that Jesus is the King of glory who came in his might to save Israel. And so if you would, you can open up your bulletins or your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 24 this morning as we consider Palm Sunday and who is this King of glory. Psalm 24 is one of the many psalms that is uh, ascribed to David, that King David wrote this. And so let us hear the word of God as the Spirit inspired him and it has been preserved for us. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Let us pray. O God, we give thanks for Your Word, and we thank You, O Lord, for how Your Word speaks to us in all generations. We thank You especially for the Old Testament and the Psalms and how they speak to us, O God, about what was to come in Christ and how the Word of God finds all its fulfillment in Christ our Lord. And so, God, point us to Christ on this Palm Sunday, to His majesty, to His reign, to His victory in the cross and in His resurrection. O Lord, please use me in spite of my own sin and weakness to proclaim your word faithfully and give us ears to hear your word, O God. Spirit, go forth with your word in power. Give us open hearts and minds to receive your word and be shaped by it that you would powerfully work in us by the word and the spirit that we would glorify you in our lives and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, looking at Psalm 24 this morning, we're going to be kind of looking at things in two very broad categories. We're going to be looking 
first at who God is. Who God is, what, essentially what God is like. How Psalm 24 describes to us what this one true God is like. But then finally we're going to ask, who is God? What is the identity of this God that we are reading about in Psalm 24? Well, Psalm 24 first clearly states that there is a God, a one true God who created everything, and therefore he is the rightful ruler over all creation. We read that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so all the earth belongs to God. Everything is under his power and control, and that includes every creature on the earth. And so people may not believe in God, but he exists, and he rules over all. We do not have the option of opting out of God's sovereign control in the same way that we cannot say to the United States government, you know what, I'm just going to set up my own independent kingdom right here on my property and declare myself an independent sovereign territory and I'm not going to abide by your rules or pay your taxes. That's not going to go well. In the same way, it is not going to go well if we say to God, yeah, I'm just not doing this. Now, you're not my God. You don't exist. You are not real. And so we see that God is this creator, and we are told that he has created all things. That's why he has rule and authority over us. Verse 2 says, For he has founded it, all the earth, upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Now the Psalms are poetry, and so this isn't meant to be a historical description of creation. God didn't find seas and rivers and go, that's a nice place to build something. No, it's a description of the orderly way that God did it. That He founded it. Established it. That there was orderly planning of creation by His wisdom and power. That creation is not an accident It is not the result of unguided evolution. That there is no hint of other gods being involved in creation. No other forces that needed to be subdued by God's creation. There is no struggle. There is orderly, intentional design. And that means that God alone is the possessor and ruler of His creation. He looks upon the universe as what He has made, and it was made to fulfill His purposes. That He is different. He is fully separate from creation, not being created Himself. That He is distinctly different, and that we are fundamentally lower than He is. These basic truths are foundational to the Christian worldview. And we find them clearly taught in all the Bible that there is one God who made heaven and earth and everything, and we are his creatures here on earth. And so then we must ask, how do we down here relate to this creator God? Can we even relate to him if he is up so high, so much bigger than we are? And that's the question we read in verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who of us can possibly ascend to that level? Who can get where he is? And even if you got there, how could you stay there? That if the creator is infinitely great, if he is morally perfect, how could small creatures like us be safe 
and secure in his presence. David goes on to give us some tips for that. He says in verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, that person may ascend. So the person may approach the Holy Creator must have both clean hands. We're really focused on clean hands today. Clean hands and a pure heart. See, if we only have clean hands, then our moral purity is merely external. It may not be coming from proper motives and attitudes. But if we only have a pure heart without accompanying good actions, we fail to put our beliefs in practice. So David says only those who do both have clean hands and pure hearts without turning from the truth of God, only they are able to approach God. And as helpful as it is to know that, it's not really encouraging because we are not pure in this way. We fail to do what is right with the right motives and right attitude. That when we do good deeds, we tend to do them to prove we are better than others, whether proved to them or proved to ourselves. Even when we have good intentions, these godly attitudes don't always result in good deeds. As sinners who do not perfectly obey God, therefore we are forbidden from approaching God. But then David offers us some hope in verse 5. He says, The blessing of righteousness and salvation is offered by God. He knows our corruption and sin, and so He extends to us His gracious favor. favor. Knowing we can't go to Him, He says, seek Me. Seek Me as Jacob sought Me to find the salvation that you cannot accomplish. Instead of striving, it says seek. And so we are to seek God like Jacob. Now, the mention of Jacob should make us think of the wrestling match in our Old Testament reading where Jacob wrestled with God. Somehow, I have no idea, Jacob realized as he was wrestling this guy, oh, this is God. I don't know how you get there. We're just going to assume God revealed it to him in some way. But even through injury, popping his hip out, that sounds really bad. He clung to God and would not let him go. He was desperate to be blessed by God. In writing Psalm 24, King David is saying to people who want to relate to God, their Creator, seek Him with the persistence of Jacob in that wrestling match. Seek the Creator that you can be saved by Him. Now this call seems rather urgent. And the reason it is urgent is because it's not optional. That because we are creator, we are creatures of the heavenly creator, we are supposed to worship him. That God has every right to demand our worship, to be recognized by his people for who he is. Now, we don't like when people above us demand their rights and authority and obedience. We're not big on that. It sounds oppressive. It sounds selfish. But God and God alone is perfectly good. That He and He alone is our rightful and ultimate authority. That He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And we are called to recognize Him as the one true God, our Creator and our Savior. 
And we see that in a weird way in verses 7 through 10. We are given this scene seemingly from the walls of Jerusalem where gates and doors are commanded to open. And who should they open for? The king of glory. Oh. And who is that exactly? The Lord, God Almighty. And so in these verses, God is calling himself the king of glory and the Lord Almighty. And so what does that tell us about who he is? First, it tells us about his mighty power. That he is the Lord who created the earth by his powerful word. He is the Lord who powerfully redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. He is the God who conquered the pagan peoples of the promised land. And so that title, Lord of Hosts, is meant to give you an image of a commanding general with hosts of troops at his disposal that is able to win any victory. That we must recognize God as the all-powerful God for what he has done in his mighty power. And then we are also told he is the king of glory. Not he is the king of Israel, not he is even king of earth, but he is king of glory. Now, when we hear the word glory, we usually think of brilliance or splendor, something bright and shiny. But glory means heavy. It means weightiness. And so the reason we connect weightiness with shininess is the things of greatest value Weight in all the world are shiny things. Diamonds, gold, precious gems. And so God is the weightiest king. That nothing is more valuable or worthy than he is. That who he is, is the king of glory. And so because of his power and what he has done with his power, because of his glory and that is who he is, he alone should be worshipped by his creatures. And that's what these doors and gates are doing. Notice it does not say open gates. It does not say open doors. It says lift up. Lift up. We heard that in verse 4. That same word, lift up. That those who ascend God's holy hill are those who do not lift up their soul to what is false. In other words, those who approach God rightly are those who recognize we only lift up our soul in worship to God. That He alone is God. He alone is the King of glory. And yet, we find ourselves lifting up our souls to many other things to good things, to weighty things. But we lift our souls up in a way that only God deserves. And we make idols. Now folks like us, we tend to think, I don't make idols. I don't have any carved images anywhere. And that's true. We don't typically make idols out of carved things and sing songs to them. We typically don't do that. But we live functionally as if they were the thing that we gave the greatest weight to in all the world. And sometimes we do that with money and wealth. That it is our weightiest pursuit. That on the scales of our lives, what has the greatest weight and glory that we are seeking? And it can be wealth and money. Or perhaps we are looking for sexual fulfillment or a relationship, treating that. That is the one thing I am seeking more than anything in all the earth, is this. 
That is what I want. That is what I need. And everything else I would trade to get that weighty thing. Or maybe it's our work, our success, our accomplishments. And so really, we put our resume and how we want it to be the weightiest thing in the world. And we will take any weights from anywhere else as long as they build that weight up. Maybe we do that to our leaders, political or religious leaders, seeing them as our hope for a better world. And we put all of our hopes in those people. Now, all of those things are are good things when we pursue them rightly and when we balance their weights correctly. But they steal, they become glory thieves when we try to give them greater weight than we should. Greater weight than God. That God alone is the King of glory, the weightiest thing that we are to lift up our hearts to. And Scripture says, worship God and God alone. And if that's the case, and if that's what the Bible, if that's what the Old Testament clearly teaches, then how can we explain the crowds on Palm Sunday Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That these Jewish men and women grew up with the Scriptures that taught that there is only one God worthy of our worship. There is only one God who we are to praise. They grew up singing Psalm 24. How we were only to lift up our hearts to the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. But then, on that Palm Sunday, nearly 2,000 years ago, this 30-something, jeez, 30-something, untrained rabbi from some backwater district is getting praised by large groups of Jewish people who lifted up palm branches who laid down their garments and lifted up their voices in praise. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, He had done good things. He had taught in a beautiful way. He had done miraculous healings. They had seen the humble holiness of His life. And yet they were treating this man like He was the King of glory. They were treating Him like Psalm 24 describes God as a conquering king, but who had he ever conquered? What battle had he ever fought in? David had at least beaten Goliath, and that was a big dude. Chopped his head right off. He conquered the Philistines. Beat them. What army did Jesus have? Who did Jesus ever defeat? How could he overthrow our Roman oppressors and restore our kingdom to the glory of the days of Solomon? Those questions were mauled over by the religious leaders. And during the night, they decided, this isn't right. And he was brought before the council of Jewish leaders, condemned to die for accepting worship that belongs to God alone. And so on that next day, instead of cries of Hosanna, the religious leaders stirred up other cries of crucify him. And Jesus was led out onto a hill where he was crucified, and this admired rabbi, this good thing, was killed for being a glory thief. At least that's what they thought. Because he was coming into the city to do battle. His mighty battle was on that cross. 
And it was on that cross we see the King in all His glory. For on that cross, Jesus demonstrated His great power and victory. That Jesus willingly endured suffering and death on the cross in order to fully conquer our greatest enemies of sin and death. Other leaders may have been victorious over enemy armies. Moses, Joshua, Samson. Many of them may have won victories that gave them security for a time. But Jesus was giving victory for all eternity. He offered His life in our place to atone for our sins, to reconcile us to God, and then rose on the third day to conquer death itself and give us eternal life. This was Jesus. The only one who ever had pure hands and pure hearts. The only one who ever sought the Lord perfectly. The only one worthy of God's blessing. The only one truly righteous. And yet, like God in Psalm 24, He offers righteousness and salvation as a gift to His people. That we, humble creatures that we are, full of sin, can go to the hill of God and stand in the presence of our Creator. And that is the central good news of Christianity. That our Creator did not leave us a list of instructions that said, to get to my holy hill, do this. Here is how you ascend to Me. No, our God descended to us and took on human flesh and through His mighty strength accomplished our salvation by humbly dying on the cross for our sins. And so our confession as Christians is that Jesus Christ is the King of glory. That He is the one true God who died and rose again and now lives forever until He comes again and brings us to the hill of the Lord. He is worthy of all our worship and we should seek Him all of our days. That's what the New Testament shows us. What Paul wrote in our New Testament reading from Colossians 1 would be complete heresy to anyone in the Old Testament unless it was spoken about God. That He is the image of the invisible God. That by Him all things were created. That He is before and above all things in glory. That in Him the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. And yet in spite of all of that glory, in spite of all of that power, He made peace through His blood on the cross. And so to answer the questions of Psalm 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall be reconciled to their Creator? Those who lift up their hearts to Jesus. Who trust in Him as Lord and Savior. Who see Him as the one true God who offers to us the gift of righteousness that we can be blessed in Him forevermore. And so this Holy Week, as we gather to celebrate the victory of Christ, let us worship Christ as our King and give Him all the glory that He so rightfully deserves. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we give thanks that You speak to us truth in Your Word. That You show us who You are and why You are worthy. And that You have revealed it to us in such a wonderful way through the humble death of Christ and His love for us. God, thank You for revealing to us who Jesus is. I pray, O oh God, that if any do not know Jesus and do not know Him as the King of glory, that they would seek Him like Jacob did. That they would wrestle over who is this Jesus that so many people talk about. And I pray, O oh God, that they would not let go. 
that they would not stop seeking until that they are blessed with faith and understanding that Christ is Lord, that He is the King of glory. And God, may we be witnesses who proclaim and praise the name of Jesus, that others might come to know Him, that others might come to rightly lift up their hearts in worship and in trust to Him. It is in His name we pray these things. Amen.